This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to literary treks this is trek fm's dedicated book and comic show and guess what i'm just one of your hosts just one not only do we have just me and a second but we have a third with us so first of all again my name is bruce gibson who is our second host dan gunther how you doing not too bad excited to be here talking about another Exciting William Shatner novel, but we'll get to that. I'm excited to talk about Star Trek books and comics every time we're on here. When are we not excited? I don't think we've ever started an episode <laughs> where we say, hey, I'm really not excited to be here on this episode. That's very <laughs> true. I, You know, hi, everyone. Uh, I kind of had a crappy day, so this is going to be a really bad episode. I I'm really hate talking about Star Trek, but here we are. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe our third host for this episode maybe maybe he's not excited i don't know matt rushing oh me yes you yeah i mean i the i ex- i hate star trek books and comics these days i mean who reads that stuff <laughs> um so no it's great to be back uh you know it, it bruce you asking that question reminded me so my wife and i watch fixer upper uh that show on hgtv and they always ask the the couple do you want to see your fixer-upper? And then they reveal the house to them. And we're always like, we want that one couple to be like, eh, I, can we do it tomorrow? You know, like, no, not really. Or, or to see the house and be like, oh, that's it? <laughs> you know, so I, luckily we never open a show like that here on the do network. You, do you want to see the house? Mm, not really. Did you see that craft services table? I kind of want to hang around there for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I need a banana and low potassium. <laughs> We can talk (laughs) vegetables and fruits and things if you'd like on today's show. But no, I think we'll stick to Star Trek because that's what I like to talk. That's the only reason I'm here is to talk about that. And Dan, like you said, we're going to talk about Wim Shatner's Spectre novel here in the feature. And that's going to be great because that's the first part of a three book series that takes place yet again in the Mirror Universe. We just talked about the Mirror Universe on the last episode. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really getting to the point where, you know, we've talked about it. I think we really have to grow these goatees or if nothing else, get some black construction paper and really make this happen. Well, see, Matt's in the in the spirit because he has a goatee and we don't. So it's mere Matt on today's show. <laughs> I hate you both. And apparently in the mirror universe, I talk like Batman. Because <laughs> why not? I, I don't know. I'm having a hard time 
telling between the evil Matt and the good Matt. Is that is that a good thing? I don't know. There's really no difference. Trust me. <laughs> Both of them are just neutral wow. Matt. Wow. I. <laughs> uh, Guys, um, one has a scar and the other doesn't. That's the only can, difference. Can we just talk about the we comic? Because wow, this comic. is this is getting really personal. <laughs> well, the fun thing is Matt actually edits these episodes, so you know it's up to him. Is this going to stay in? Is it not? I guess you'll know before we do. <laughs> well, I know one thing that will stay in. We're going to talk about Star Trek Waypoint issue three, and this issue has a cover. Well, there's, you know, variant covers. One of the covers we have involves Voyager, which I was excited to see Voyager represented. And the other cover, which I'm also excited about, since we're always excited about everything on the show, is Deep Space Nine. And we see that crew. We talked about the cover of this issue with the Deep Space Nine cast uh, on a previous episode because we pointed out that Miles O'Brien is missing. The rest of the crew is there except for Miles. I guess he was doing a chore that he was given to do i don't know i guess so yeah he's probably fixing the upper pylons again all three of them have gone down again so he's off doing that uh this first you know if he just do the job right the first time he wouldn't have to keep going and doing it again it's just job security at this point i think he's doing it on purpose (laughs) 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 but this uh this first cover you want to know how i immediately know it's voyager there's a crashed and burning shuttle front and center. <laughs> I was like, oh, Voyager, they lost me of the shuttle. <laughs> so you didn't notice Seven of Nine and Janeway and Chakotay and Balana. You just noticed the shuttle and go, yep, that's Voyager. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did eventually notice them. And what, I'm sorry, what is going on with Seven's face? That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> She's concerned. There's definitely, there's definitely some weirdness going on with that. I was, I, I, didn't know what was going on until we finally got into the comic. I was like, oh, this makes so much more sense. Well, let's get into the comic because the first story in Waypoint, since there's two in this issue, the first one is called The Wildman Maneuver. Is that wild man or wildman? Hmm. (laughs) Now, this was done in crayons. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not joking. It looks like it was drawn in crayons. It's a comic that's a a crayon drawing. Looks like a little kid actually is telling a story that takes place on the friendly little starship Voyager, which has a little happy face on the front of its hull. Did you notice that, Dan? On the good ship. I actually didn't notice that at first, but now that you point that out. (laughs) Oh, man. Um you were distracted by the planet that's smiling at it. I did notice those, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> now, this is very unorthodox. It's, it's you know, we, we come to learn that it's being drawn and written by Naomi Wildman, who, of course, is the, the young girl on Voyager. And it's done in that style that, you know, I'm sure you guys probably did as well as kids, you know, draw a comic about your favorite heroes. Uh and not necessarily in the most realistic style, if that makes sense. And I don't know. I, I kind of have mixed feelings about this one. I started out going like, okay, what is this? But as I got further into it, I actually did find myself laughing out loud at a bunch of parts. Harry Kim, for example, it seems that all he does is walk around the ship playing his clarinet. 
and Janeway is incapacitated because she hasn't gotten her coffee and it's up to, uh, what was it special ensign wildman or something like that to and and her partner in crime seven of nine to deliver the coffee through these aliens who are attacking the ship and once janeway gets her coffee she takes charge of the situation and her orders to harry are to play something upbeat and i i have to say i lost it at that moment i did laugh out loud you know matt doesn't it sound like dan's making all this up <laughs> it, it does but the the best part about it is that Bellana asks, "But how, Captain? What won't they expect?" And Janeway has her fist in the air, raised towards you, and she says, "Science." <laughs> and I just wanted it to say, "Techno babble." Exactly, instead. <laughs> exactly. So in the script, it would say "tech," and they exactly. just make up some gibberish oh. to get out of it. That's exactly <laughs> what they've done here. They just haven't replaced it with the gibberish. It just says "science." I love it. I. That was perfect. I, I thought it was funny. I mean, it is. It's like as far as that further you go through here, it's funny because we're making fun of Janeway with her coffee and, like you said, the science part of it. And even when they get the uh, aliens, they get rid of those aliens, they are now sitting on the bridge with sunglasses on. They've got their shades on because now they're all cool now, thanks to the Wildman. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like this, too. I'm sorry, Chakotay. I never thought I'd fall asleep like that. Don't worry, Tom. Even though you screw up a lot, we're all past our bedtime and everyone knows nothing good happens then. And I was like, oh my gosh. Okay, so I have to ask you guys, don't you think that this might work better maybe as a children's book than necessarily a comic series for adults? Because I think this is super adorable and reminds me very much of Jeffrey Brown's series that he does with Vader, where Vader has the kids, uh, like Vader's Little Princess yeah. and, and uh, Goodnight Vader. and uh, But it's very reminiscent of that, and that's adorable, but it's for you know parents to read their kids. I feel like this would work so well as that. I'm not so sure that it works well as a comic for adults, because it's cheeky and fun. But, you know, when I pick up an issue of a Star Trek comic, it's not necessarily what I'm like, I guess, thinking I'm going to get. Yeah, you're thinking yeah. you're going to get a Voyager story, just like any other adult Voyager story. You don't know this looking at the cover. Oh, it's a fun play on Voyager. I can't wait to get this issue and start reading it. But I guess in most cases, you maybe you can preview. Can you do that? I don't even know. Can you do that online? Can you preview the first few pages? If you try to do it online, you can on Comixology. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So I don't know. For me personally, I enjoyed the story. I thought it was funny. I kept thinking about my kids. I wish this would have come out years earlier because if I had this issue, I would have immediately gone to my kids and said, Hey, here's a bedtime story for tonight because it would be the one thing I would get to read to my kids that Star Trek that I know that they would have liked when they were at a really young age. And you're right, Matt. I mean, if this was a separate book I, and it was a children's book on display, I would buy it for that same reason. So mm -hmm. for me as a dad, I wouldn't mind this, but I can see other people, especially if they don't have kids, go, what? Wait, what? Why? Why am I? Why did I buy this? Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it, I think, for what it was. I, I definitely see your point, Matt. I, but, you know, at the same time, I also enjoy flipping through Vader and Son 
because right. it's, it's just adorable. But yeah, like you say, if you're not expecting this, then I can see it could be disappointing for sure. So uh, I'm kind of of two minds of it about it. Uh, I really did enjoy it. Yeah, it I, made I me can't laugh, really say much so more cool. than that, I guess. <laughs> and I think what we are saying is go ahead and do this at this kind of thing as a children's book, because what a great way to introduce children to Star Trek in a way that's very accessible for them, fun in the same vein as Vader and Son and Vader's Little Princess and Goodnight Vader. This is this is the absolute perfect way to to do that. And I would I would totally buy those for my niece and nephews. Uh, if, if, you know, they had that kind of thing, I, I think it would be fantastic. So if anybody's listening out there who does Star Trek art and books, do something like this because you're missing a market there. Cause it, this is, I might not love it as an adult, but it's a gold mine, I think for, for kids in a way to kind of introduce them again to Star Trek. Cause I mean, I feel like the last thing we had for kids was the, uh, Star Trek visual dictionary that came out a few years back. And and really, that's... I mean, we just don't get Star Trek and kids very often. No, but I'll tell you, my introduction uh, of Star Trek to my kids were, was Trouble with Tribbles. And to this day, they still love that episode. They ask about it, you know, hey, let's watch the Tribbles again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe even a book like that for kids about Tribbles. But anyway, so we have another story in here. That's not done in crayon, and it's called Mother's Walk, and this story is a Deep Space Nine story. So, guys, did you like this one in comparison to the last? As the story started, I expected that I would like it more than the last one, but surprisingly, by the end, I actually ended up liking the Naomi Wildman story more than I did this one, which is Why? really surprising Why? to Why? me. Why? <laughs> oh, I'm a Niner. I love Deep Space Nine. And and so, yeah, that was really surprising to me. The story, I mean, it's it's good. It's about strong women and Bajoran culture and that sort of thing. But it just, it comes across as a little bit, I, I don't know if the right word, twee maybe to me. You know, the message is a little bit over the top, heavy handed. And I don't know, some of, some of Kira's characterization in this story just bugged me a little bit i thought it was a little bit heavy-handed in some of what it had to say i don't know what did you guys think what did you think maybe kira was just a little too sensitive or too sweet in this or something i don't know it, it seemed like the message that we get by the end of the episode that she does have family and the people around her are her family is something that she would have absorbed a little earlier in the story than than she did you know kind of moping that she doesn't have family when it's right there in front of her and i know that's different but you know it is the lesson that she learns by the end of the story but i think it was just a little bit tortured getting there maybe you know? it would have worked better in first season time period as opposed yeah. to later although maybe they she wouldn't have considered them her family at all at that point but yeah, it, it seems like this kind of odd mishmash of attitudes on Kira's part that doesn't quite fit where she is in the timeline. That makes sense, yeah. Well, being the orb guy on the show, uh, this, you know, the story takes place probably somewhere late fifth season, early sixth season, and or, or sometime in the sixth season uh, even. 
And I think you're absolutely right, Dan, to call out that this doesn't seem like Kira's character whatsoever at that point. Like, she's already way past this kind of mopiness about what happened during the occupation uh, because she's so much farther into and she's about to move into, uh, you know, the very next season going off and helping the Cardassians start their own rebellion. And uh, it, it just, this this doesn't fit at all. Now, if this story takes place maybe in the third season, the era of Deep Space Nine, that makes a little bit more sense. But even then, Kira was not one to have these kind of feelings. You know, it, it, this kind of like, oh, you know, like she would get angry about the Cardassians and what they took from the Bajorans. She wasn't mopey about mm-hmm. it. And she kind of comes off very mopey in this story. And, and that's just not Kira that I, I, I from the series, you know. Um, I think the closest that she ever got to that was the episode where she's remembering uh, her mother's death, or at least what she thinks is her mother's death, and, you know, Gold Guitar messages her and, and she the wrongs darker than death mm-hmm. of night uh, when she learns about what her mother actually did to save them and having to come to grips with that. that. That's as close as I feel like we get to this kind of attitude. But even then, it's very different. And so I just, this kind of feels like a story written by somebody who hasn't watched a lot of Deep Space Nine. Hmm. See, I didn't quite walk away with this at that same feeling. I just felt it was just a nice side to see of Kira just a softer side of her thinking about an experience, a tradition that takes place on Bajor that she not she never got to experience with her mother. And she's just sharing the thoughts of that with uh Dax. And I mean it's a it's a little I guess syrupy that, you know, the whole crew bands together and you kind of see where it's going they're going to show her that they're family but i don't know it, it didn't bother me that much I, I thought it was i thought it was just a nice tale about not just kira but a a mother event mother daughter event that used to take place on bajor mm-hmm. yeah i i mean it is a really nice story for sure and I do have to disagree, Matt, with just one thing. I do think there's a lot of little continuity touchstones that I think the writer kind of showed that, you know, they did know a lot about Deep Space Nine. Um, you know, the O'Briens talking about Kira carrying her child and just kind of the way Worf and Dax talk together in bed. There's just little things that I was like, oh, it makes me yearn to be back during Deep Space Nine again during the series. Uh, but I think where they just really missed the mark was with Kira's character. And it really, that's what's underpinning the story. And it just really drags it down for me. And in that sense, I completely agree. You know, the stuff that they do bring up, I think is, is great. You know, there are those continuity touches in the sense of like the O'Briens and having the baby and all, but by bringing that up, I immediately think, but she's a part of the O'Brien family. Now she already has a Mm -hmm. family. She's so much, in fact, by the end of the series, you know, she's so much a part of their family. Yeah, I mean, she lived you know, with them. She's they, aunt, had, they had her move yeah, in. Yeah, she lived that. with them. She's Aunt Kira, you know, um, to them. Uh, she she has dinner with them very often, you know, and so uh, that was very strange. And, of course, she has her relationship with Odo at that point. Uh, she has a much closer relationship with Ben Sisko at that point, too. 
and with Dax uh, and Worf. And, you know, so it's like, again, I think if you do this maybe more season three-ish, it feels like it fits, mm-hmm. it would fit better. I, I would be more comfortable with the story because I just feel like it misses the mark of Kira's character development by the time of late fifth, early sixth season. So Yeah, definitely agreed on that one for sure. Okay, well, it sounds like issue number three didn't seem to impress us that much. I mean, there were some nice moments in it, but uh, maybe we'll get more of what we want in issue number four when that comes out. And we've seen a preview of that cover. And we, again, spoke about this on a previous episode where we see the next generation crew all shooting at something, except for Data. He's on, he's laid up on Worf's shoulders. So poor Data is down. Yeah, I want to cut out just of of crusher there as my profile pick <laughs> so yeah uh she looks awesome but yeah I, I i like that you quoted uh shania twain it's just don't impress me much <laughs> that's for the canadian dan and, and amazingly oh. matt's not singing it I, huh. I was waiting for that that's what i was like well, where's the song where's the singing I, I mean, you know, it's already in your head now. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. Yes, thank you for that, Matt. <clears throat> oh, my gosh. Well, I'm going to tell everybody, if you ever want to hear Matt sing, all you have to do is reach out to us and just beg and plead for that to happen. And it's not going to take a whole lot of begging and pleading to make that happen. Who knows? He may end up singing again later on this show. But if you want to reach out to us, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. Or you can find us on Facebook in the Babel Conference. That's our discussion forum group on Facebook. Just go into the search bar, type Babel, the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, or go to trek.fm and hit the discussion word there on the site, and it'll take you to the Babel Conference where you can sign up and join us in the group discussions. You can also find us on Twitter at trek.fm, and you can send us a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash trek.fm or even send us an email. Just go to trek.fm slash contact and choose Literary Treks as the show and that will come straight to us. And Dan, tell us a little bit about the Goodreads group. Well, the Goodreads group, if you're not a part of Goodreads, you should join. Obviously, you are a fan of books. You're listening to this show. It's a great way to keep track of all the books you've read, you're reading, and what you want to read. And that's what we use it for as well. We've got a group on Goodreads. Just search Literary Treks at goodreads.com. And we have a number of bookshelves set up where we have all of the books we've read for past episodes, as well as what's coming up in future episodes so that you can read along with us and keep up to date on everything that we talk about here on Literary Treks. And as well as that, there are discussion boards that you can join the conversation in talking about any book or comic in the Star Trek universe. All right. Well, I say that we grab Matt by the goatee and go to the Mirror Universe. So once again, we're going to review a novel written by William Shatner, and this one is Star Trek Spectre. This was the fourth book in the, quote, Shatnerverse of books. The first three we've already discussed uh, in prior episodes. It was The Ashes of Eden, The Return, and Avenger. So that was a trilogy of its own. And this is a start of a new trilogy that takes place in the Mirror Universe. Now, this isn't the first time I've read this book. I read it when it came out. And I think it came out in the late 90s, like 98, something like that. And so this is a reread for me. 
And I was just wondering if you guys had read this book when it originally came out or sometime later, if this is a reread for you or if this was the first time. Well, for me, like all of the William Shatner books other than The Return, this is my first time reading it. I've never read this before. Uh, I be like beyond The Return, The Return is the only book I've read in what my friend calls the Shat narrative, which I really love. <laughs> but yeah, no, I've never read this before. Uh, I've had some of them on my shelves, you know, picked up from secondhand bookstores over the years, but just never gotten around to them. So this was a brand new experience for me. Now, Matt, I think you've read it before, right? Yeah, it, it's weird, though, because it feels like the first time. There it is. Uh, I mean, there we, it is. we got there our first email asking for him to <laughs> sing, and that's how quick it was. <laughs> oh, no. Um, But I, yeah, I'm right there with you. Bruce, uh, whenever there was a new Shatner book that came out back in the day, you know, I immediately picked that up. And I, I still have all the original copies that I bought, you know, when, when they had landed on bookshelves um, back way back when. And so I and I, it's because I had enjoyed the first trilogy quite a bit and uh, I was excited to see you know, what was going to come next. And in fact, you know, in the back of the books, it's always fun because it's a lot like James Bond. Jim Kirk will, or James Kirk will return. And sometimes they say in, and then sometimes they just say James Kirk will return because they weren't sure, you know, what the next book was going to be called yet. I just kind of love that in a lot of ways, Shatner turned James Kirk into James Bond. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of parallels there, especially in these Shatnerverse books, because he really is larger than life doing over-the-top stupendous things, kind of like James Bond in those films, and almost to the point where it's a bit much to take. Uh, I think we've talked about that in previous Shatnerverse books, but at the same time, very entertaining romp. You know, you, you always know what you're going to get when you read one of these books, or at least that's been my experience these last few books. Well, and what's interesting to me, especially with this one, you know, there's a sense that Kirk can do anything, but he does a great job in this one of actually saying that he's nobody without his crew. So it really is him and everybody else working together because he... He makes a point of saying that in the book when he's talking to Kate Janeway from the Mirror Universe. Look, I was trained in all the different places as a starship captain that all my people would work in. But that doesn't mean I do anything really well in any of them. I'm just there to make sure that I can get the right person for the right job because I kind of understand what needs to be done there. Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but then they gave me... Scotty, then they gave me McCoy, and I have these incredible people around me that, that only made me so much better because I had them around me. And, uh, you know, he's not always right in the book, too, mm. you know, and, and that's nice as well. I, I think there's a, there is a, a sense of over-the-topness, like he is the James Bond of Star Trek, but at the same time, James Bond is no good without Money Penny and Q and M and everybody else behind him, really, if you watch the movies very closely. So I think he does a pretty good job of that for the most part. Sometimes it is still a little over the top, but, you know, that's kind of what makes these books fun is because they're willing to take those huge risks and just outlandish plots that you don't generally see unless John Jackson Miller is writing the plot. <laughs> 
Yeah, and John Jackson Miller did not write this with William Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, that was Judith and Garfield Reeve Stevens, yes. So mm-hmm. they, they helped uh, William Shatner, because I remember the first time I read The Ashes of Eden, I was like, oh, this is a novel by William Shatner. I didn't know he knew so much about Star Trek. I, I guess it was more of The Return, because he had Picard and these, I'm like, you can't tell me he knows these next generation characters that well. And then I realized, oh, wait, he's had some help. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. So speaking of Kirk, you know, I feel like he's really trying to find where his place is in the 24th century. And with it, does he have a purpose and, and, and what where he fits in since he's not part of Starfleet anymore. And he's got a girlfriend. And he's on this planet called Chow or Chal. So it kind of reminded me of the Wrath of Khan, where it's like the age thing comes up, where, you know, he's getting old, he's got to move on. I feel like we're seeing that same type of theme in here. Did you guys think that same thing? Did Wrath of Khan come to mind? Yeah, there there are definite parallels there. Uh, I, I totally thought of the scene where he's telling Carol Marcus that he feels old and worn out, but with a more positive spin to it, which was interesting. So, you know, he feels like he's ready to hang up his wings to, you know, give up the captain's chair and build a home. But Teilani isn't really having it. She knows there's still some of that old Jim Kirk in him and he needs to go figure that out as well. So there were parallels, but I felt like it was a little bit more of a positive bent to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting because in this uh, story, for him, his goal isn't to like run away or feel like he's completely useless. Uh, you know, he has a whole life with Tilani and Anchal, and he wants to build a home. Uh, but there's also this whole side of him that um, it, it's almost like he can see a different side of life that he could never see before when he was in the captain's chair and when the captain's chair was everything to him. Uh, you know, and the song of, you know, the, that old black magic has me in its spell, it doesn't have him in his spell anymore uh, because something else has captured his imagination, his thought process of he wants a family, he wants a home, but he's doing it at the expense of, of kind of negating who he is as a person, which is Jim Kirk, which is somebody who is phenomenal, but sitting in a captain's chair, you know, um, the the universe is a better place when the butt print of the enterprise has Kirk's butt print in it. You know, that's, that's the important aspect that he's, he's denying, but he's also even denying the technology of the 24th century. And he's kind of become this old curmudgeon that McCoy kind of is sometimes, but he, he really isn't. He just likes to complain about stuff, but Kirk really is trying to convince himself of that stuff too. Like, oh, they're, we're just too uh, dependent on technology and all that stuff. And it, I, I think Talani just sees mm-hmm. through the crap that Kirk's, you know, putting up and, and she's not having it. And that's why she's like, look, I, I want you to be here. I want to be with you. I, you know, I, I want to build a home with you, but you need to go out and make sure that you're here for the right reasons and not the wrong reasons. Cause really he's there for the wrong reasons to try to prove to himself that he wants to be there instead of being fully okay with who Jim Kirk is 
all of it. You know, the hero. And he has to get the to savior, that place. The galaxy. Yeah. She knows. She knows oh, yeah. he has to get to that place because we find out later in the book that she's pregnant, and she does exactly. not tell him that. Mm-hmm. She doesn't. Yeah, tell she him has that. a very real reason for wanting to make sure that Jim Kirk's in the right headspace because. You know, maybe he won't be responsible for a ship and crew, but he's going to have a whole nother kind of responsibility heaped on him right away here. Yeah. And Matt, as you mentioned, he's he needs the crew. He That's his family, just like Kira has her Deep Space Nine family. And he even says you can't be a captain of an empty starship. He realizes that later. And so at the end of the book, she reveals that she's pregnant and then they decide to get married. He obviously wasn't. He thought maybe he would be ready to get married, maybe at the beginning of the book, but she knew he wasn't ready. And she knew he had to kind of pass this test or find his path as to balance a married life and and being a father with those things that make Kirk who he is. And it's not just about that stump and not using a phaser or using technology to get rid of that stump so he can build a house. And so he even says at the end of the book, he's going to get rid of that stump but he's going to use a phaser to do it, which he refused to do in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> well, and it, it reminded me so much of, of the conversation in Generations where Kirk says, uh, don't tell me about obligation. I was out saving the ga- you know, the galaxy when your grandfather was on diapers. Uh, and that's kind of the attitude that Kirk still has. Like, the galaxy owes me one. Mm-hmm. You know, like he has this chip on his shoulder almost. And... Slowly being able to get rid of that is is part of this story, and I think Talani understands that chip that's on his shoulder, and she didn't want that in her house. You know, she doesn't want him dealing with that. Uh, she wants all of Jim Kirk, which is the hero, you know, but but also the one who's become the family man, or slowly becoming the family man. And I think that integration is something that Kirk just hasn't been able to figure out yet, and she's wise enough to say... No, get the hell out. I you, you you come back when you're really ready to be here. And and it's it's kind of neat to see a relationship where somebody isn't willing to take and, and this is what's cool about Talani as a character, she's not gonna take less than she deserves, which is all of Jim Kirk, not just half of him. And that's neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she really is, you know, the equal and the foil and not the foil, but she really is the match for Jim Kirk. You know, she's got that strong personality just like he does. And she knows exactly what she wants. She knows what she has and she knows what she has to do to get everything she wants. And it's really great to see a character that can kind of match wits with Kirk that way. Not, not necessarily match wits, I guess, but be a big enough character to be able to share the quote unquote screen with him and not just be an accessory to Kirk. She's, her own person in her own right and a really formidable personality. And she's half Klingon, half Romulan, which is a very interesting character to put with Kirk to pair him up with since Mm -hmm. his hate and his fight against Romulans and Klingons for all this time. And now he's marrying someone who's both. (laughs) And apparently the most beautiful woman in the universe because everybody think yes. so even yes. Picard uh so uh, well, but and, and and that is one of the places where I think the story is like uh, you kind of roll your eyes just a little bit only you know Kirk would be seduced by just the most beautiful woman that would be the one you know it's so. because she was pregnant the pheromones that's what they said yeah. right? well but yes yes but it, <laughs> it's so much more than that as we were saying she is a 
powerhouse in her personality that she she can stand next to Kirk, and I think that's really cool. And you know, it, it's it's an interesting thing because in this story, he's dealing, especially when he learns what the issue is, what's going on, he's dealing with a heavy weight of responsibility. I mean, like he feels completely responsible for everything that's gone wrong in the mirror universe because it was his actions that did cause that chain reaction to happen. And I thought that was really interesting to me to see the mirror universe uh, devolve even worse than we had seen in the Deep Space Nine episodes. Mm -hmm. It just, everything that can possibly go wrong has gone wrong and it all gets traced back to Kirk's conversation with Mir Spock. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting aspect of the story. I'm totally on board with how responsible Kirk himself feels for for what has happened. What bugs me a little bit in the story is how much the people in the mirror universe also blame him for what has happened. I mean, it what I mean, Jim Kirk gives amazing speeches and they do turn the tides of entire worlds, but a five-minute speech does not make him responsible for everything that has happened in the mirror universe since then. And it just bugged me a little bit how much Spock and the people with him were willing to be like, oh, this is this is all your fault, Kirk. You did this. Look at what you've done to us. And I'm like, take some responsibility for yourselves, guys. But a character like Kirk would be very self-critical about this sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, it bugged and So me in their universe... When they curse, it's like, Kirk, damn it, instead <laughs> of the other one, because that's that's how bad Kirk is to them. Exactly. <laughs> Just like, All because really? they stubbed their toe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I also thought that maybe they also felt they could blame him because they didn't like his counterpart, the mere mm -hmm. Kirk, Tiberius. So there's so much hatred for Tiberius that he caused so much damage to their universe that they found out what his counterpart in the prime universe did. And it's like, you know, he's bad on both sides. We hate them both just as much. That's kind of what I picked up from that. That makes a little more sense. I can kind of get on board with that. I just, you know, I, I really like when Spock kind of says, can you honestly believe that a handful of words you exchanged with my counterpart can have led to such far-reaching consequences in the mirror universe. And I'm, I'm kind of with him on that. I'm like, you can't pin all of the blame on Kirk. But I do get the idea that it's been a century and, you know, the idea is bigger than the man. So I suppose that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Well, and I think you just said it perfectly, Bruce. It, everything that Tiberius has done just reminds them of this Kirk. Mm -hmm. Like, and so the correlation, it, it's hard to see reason when you suffered for a hundred years. And so whether that anger is misplaced or not, it, he is a part of it. And so I, I do appreciate that, you know, it, for a while in Star Trek literature, we had a lot of books that were trying to kind of retcon Kirk decisions and make them into mistakes and then go back and fix those. Uh, and this actually was one of those places where it made complete sense that where they're going with the story wasn't just... It wasn't a Kirk mistake. Like, Kirk's 
trying to do the right thing, but it just turns out awfully because of the way this universe is. And to me, this actually works better than some of those books because it feels so much more in line with the thematic elements of the mirror universe and everything. Uh, and, and it just makes sense that Kirk met the best intentions, but that universe is so fracked up, it, it still didn't help, you know? Uh, so I, even the best Kirk speech <laughs> didn't help. He couldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah, well, so we obviously identified the fact that people in the mirror universe do not like our prime Kirk. But are there people in the Prime universe that don't seem to care for Kirk or get along with him? Like, what is going on with Kirk and Scotty, Dan? What is going on there? See, now this, I and I honestly, like I asked on the outline, did I miss something? And I, I'm totally honest. Did I miss something here? Because there seems to be this weird animosity between Kirk and Scotty. And a couple things get mentioned. I mean, you know, Kirk shows up in this time period and apparently doesn't, really check in with Scotty even though he knows he's there so Scotty's feeling a little neglected I guess but there's just certain lines in the book where there's this underlying animosity between them like just for example in an offhand comment uh Scotty said something nice about Kirk or whatever or or expressed support for Kirk's plan and Kirk inner thoughts say as unused to hearing praise from scott as he was kirk was nevertheless appreciative of the engineer's support I'm like he's unused to hearing praise from scott what what happened like what these guys are friends what happened yeah, i don't happened, know something happened in avenger or i i don't recall anything happening in the previous novels uh in the shatner verse but i picked up on that too mm-hmm. what you're saying i thought this is really odd. Are they getting confused between William Shatner and James Dewan's relationship versus Kirk and Scotty's fictional relationship? I I had the same thought and I wasn't sure if there was something along those lines there or what, but I just wonder if if William Shatner is sitting there with Judith and Garfield Reeve Stevens and saying, no, I, I, there's tension between these two because I've always felt it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, you found it with James Dillon. <laughs> Maybe every time Scotty was in the engine room and said, I can't give her any more. He took that as just a personal affront. Like, I can't give you any more. Another captain, sure. But you, pff, whatever. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm reaching here. I didn't get it uh, either. It, it, it was it was odd. But you picked um, up on it, too. And then. no, it, yeah, it's it's very blatant. It's it's. It just feels so out of place. It's the one thing in the book that makes absolutely no sense to me. And again, maybe I just miss something like you two, but I, I don't know. Oh, okay. Uh, poss- that makes me feel uh, a lot so, better because I was yeah. like, am I missing something that's just totally obvious here? Because, <laughs> yeah, I was wondering what was going on there. I feel like we need a Waypoint comic to <laughs> solve that issue for us. Maybe make a, a story about this little falling out before... Talani got involved or something. Maybe Kirk was involved back in the day with uh, Scotty and Uhura not lasting as a couple or something, and that's why he's kind of pissed. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, moving on to the mirror universe again, it's, you know, when you look in the mirror, that is you. But in the mirror universe, is that truly who you are? 
because that person is different from you. In this case, the two Picards, you have the good Picard versus the evil Picard. Do we find that the mirror of ourselves is something that really is deep inside of us? Well, this is a really interesting question to me, and, it, and it's something very fundamental, because is a mirror universe copy of yourself? Are they exactly the same as you, but just, you know, had a, had different upbringing and that sort of thing? Or are they fundamentally different? And I guess it just goes back to the old nature versus nurture debate, right? And to me, what I found really interesting was, even though it's a small section of the book, Picard talking to himself about these differences and what makes each Picard who they are, I found really compelling. And, you know, I hate to say this, I found it more compelling, a more compelling examination of this issue than what we got in Star Trek Nemesis, for example. You know, it's a very small part, but I just love the interplay between the two of them where, you know, the mirror Picard is saying like, you know, you could be a killer if you just went through what I went through, you would be exactly the same as me. And Picard turns it back on him. Well, somewhere inside you is the capacity to be a scientist, an explorer, a diplomat, a starship captain like I am. And I I don't know. I just, I wanted the novel to spend a little bit more time on that almost because I thought that was such an interesting question. Well, and it's funny. I mean, I right there with you, Dan, I find just about anything more compelling than Star Trek Nemesis, <laughs> even Star Trek V, yep. uh, with Cybok. So I'm right there in the same place you are. I thought this was a great conversation. and It just reminded me of something, you know, I just felt like Picard should be standing there and, I'm looking at the Picard in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. Oh, yeah. Uh, just don't you don't okay. you just feel Let, that happening? We need to stop here and just acknowledge what just happened. Well, we got another email from a listener requesting a song <laughs> because that was amazing. <laughs> but I can't. Don't you like? That's the first thing that came to mind when I was like watching this conversation. I was like, "This is like the man in the mirror, but it's Picard the mirror." And so, um, it it's a great. It is a great scene because the questions that they're asking are so legitimate of each other. And I think the answer is both and. Like, yes, uh, on both sides. The nature and nurture for both of them has caused them to be what they are. And if they had been in the other person's place, they most likely would have turned out to be very similar does that mean that the Picard of the Prime Universe has that proclivity to be a murderer? I, I don't think so, because I, I feel like uh, that's going a little bit too far uh, because of everything else that Picard is, just because they happen to be mirrors of one another. They're not really mirrors. You know, you're not really looking at yourself. Uh, there's too much that really is different about you. And yes, you may have DNA similarities, but they don't have the same personality, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and like there, there's so much more that's, that's different about them. So you would come down on the side that there's something very fundamentally different about how they're made up that 
that one. Well, I mean, their quantum signature is different, hmm. even if I mean, so fundamentally, they are. Uh, de- their voice print might be the same, those kind of things, but the way their brain is wired because of the experiences they've had, completely different. I mean, we know from science these days that different experiences condition your brain to be a certain way. And so, yes, Picard is a completely different person than his mere opposite is because of that. And so uh, even the science today uh, that we know of says that. And he, But by this time, I mean, having that conversation, it's an interesting philosophical discussion, but biologically, it, I, don't, I don't think we could even say it's close. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's funny because this girl at work today who does not read science fiction is not into star trek starts telling me today that she was reading about the multiverse and it's really kind of freaking her out it's 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 really making her think outside of the box that and she starts telling me you know there's like there's you know apparently like millions like infinity of me out there and all these different universes and and we're all different but they're all me and i said well they're not really you. You are you. You're you are your own individual. They have a different. They've gone a different path. They're they're completely different people than you. They may look like you. It's like Matt, what you're saying. They they may look like you. They may have the same genes, but they're really not the same person. They've they've had totally different experiences. So their brains are wired differently. However, I somewhat disagree with what you're saying about Picard because the mere Picard kept outthinking the prime Picard, because he said he always knew what Picard was thinking because they're so much alike. And I didn't feel that prime Picard was arguing against that. I felt like he was agreeing with him that, yeah, they they pretty much do think alike, even though their experiences are different and one's coming from more of an evil standpoint and the other one's coming from a more righteous, good standpoint. I think Picard realizes that there's a part of him deep inside that that could have been like that, where earlier in the book, Kirk denies that that could happen because Janeway was ac- accusing Picard that he could be just like Tiberius. They're, they're the same per- person. It's all deep inside mm-hmm. them. And Kirk was like, no, no, I'm not anything like that. I would never be anything like that. And she says, yes, you would. It's somewhere deep down inside. You just don't know. So Kirk isn't accepting it. And I felt like Picard was. So that part to me was interesting. That's cool because, yeah, we get both sides of that. And I think in the story, that's the story convention. But, I mean, if I'm looking at it outside the story. No, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Inside the story. Yeah, no, yes. I agree. Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right, Bruce. And I completely agree with you. Inside this, this Star Trek universe, which is, let's just put it back there. Yeah, uh, outside that, no. Inside that, yes. And, and that's what they're using because... I, I was a little frustrated with this reread with the whole Picard thing. I was like, oh, come on. You you can't know what he's going to think because you have no idea what his life has been like. There's no way you could anticipate him just because you happen to be similar in looks, really. That's it. You know, everything else is completely different. So that bothered me because I was thinking about it more logically now because I'm I'm older when I'm reading this and read a lot more science fiction and thought a lot more about it and we've discovered a lot more things scientifically about the human brain and all so yeah it didn't work as well for me 
but I know what they're trying to do, and I'm right there with you, Dan. In the end, this still works way better than the Nemesis because it it seems less forced, for sure. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if we're bringing science into it, we of course have to acknowledge science. Yeah, with with the multiverse theory that we're talking about, if you travel into the various multiverses and kill your other selves, you gain their power. So you know, science. Oh, that's how that works. <laughs> Guys, I've got to plan a trip. I'll be right back. <laughs> well, I thought Janeway makes an appearance in here, and I thought that she was very similar to... This is the mere Janeway. Let me take that back. So we see the mere Janeway in this story. We don't see the prime Janeway because, of course, she's stranded somewhere out in the Delta Quadrant with Neil Lakes drinking coffee. And so we see the mere Janeway here, and I thought she was very similar to the Janeway that we know. I didn't feel like these characters were all that different. Their circumstances are different. She's not a captain of a starship. But then when she gets on the, I'm going to say, quote, fake Voyager, she feels like she has a place there. She feels like she could be the captain of a starship. Now, did you guys feel that Janeway was any different than the Janeway we know? Because I thought she was very similar. Yeah, I agree with you. Very similar type character. Again, this is kind of going back to, you know, the same fundamental deep down person just with different experiences that have shaped their lives and their reactions and that sort of thing. Kind of like what we see in Deep Space Nine. I mean, Smiley O'Brien, as Rom says, is just as nice as our O'Brien and all that sort of stuff. They've just had different experiences and, you know, maybe that's more lending credence to that side of the argument. But yeah, no, I really enjoyed her character in this. And as a little bit of an aside, at the start of the book, I think I've been watching too much Orange is the New Black because they describe her as having very short, cropped, dyed red hair. I thought that too, yeah. It was about five chapters of her before I could get rid of the Russian accent reading her dialogue. And it was ridiculous. I couldn't shake it for some reason. Um, But I finally got past that eventually. I I mean, I just liked it when uh, she kisses Kirk, you know, so Kirk's finally kissed everybody uh, Mm -hmm. in in the, the, he's just yours, which is one. I mean, yeah, he, well, and actually what was really interesting is I liked that there was a, a good reason for that to happen. The reason that she kisses Kirk is to see if he's really, truly who he says he is, which is the person who's in love with Talani. And and so that was, it, it actually works in the story. Um, it's funny, I don't picture her as, as that because I, I haven't seen Orange is the New Black. So I just picture her as Kate Mulgrew, you know, uh, which, you know, Kate Mulgrew is fantastic, mm-hmm. uh, especially in those Voyager years. Just love Kate Mulgrew. I think this is one of the interesting things because there's uh, those characters in the Mirror Universe who are the complete opposite and then there are those ones who are more yeah, similar. Like Spock. Too. And yeah. exactly. So Kate just happens to be closer to the Catherine Janeway of our universe. And it was fun to have her there because it allowed Shatner and Judith and Garfield Reese Stevens to be able to play with her as a character without having to bring her back from the Delta Quadrant. And and so I really I liked the idea of doing that. And it was it was so much fun. I just I, I I really enjoy her as a character here and more consistently written too. So Yeah, it these books are fun in the they bring all these different characters from the different series 
into one. I mean, sometimes it's it's maybe a little much because we start to expect it in all these novels. It's like, oh, okay, we're bringing Kirk with Scotty and Bones and and Spock, and we have to reunite them yet again. And there's Captain Bateson reunited and. <laughs> so good the next generation crew and and we have uh janeway of course i mean just it seems like everybody starts to come together this big like family reunion but also except for deep space nine characters no deep space nine characters i mean they mentioned deep space nine a couple times and the defiant but no they didn't have and even Worf wasn't there so yeah there was no deep space nine characters but i did like the emh was the andy dick the second emh (laughs) I thought that was cool to have him in there too, make an appearance because every time the doctor appears on some ship, it's always the doctor we know from Voyager, but this was the one played by Andy Dick. So that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was definitely interesting. The The Deep Space Nine thing, I always loved every time they brought up the crossover to the Mirror Universe, it was always Dr. Julian Bashir and that Bajoran officer or some Bajoran officer. It's like, didn't you meet her? I thought, okay, never mind, I guess. But... Yeah, not a lot of Deep Space Nine love in this one, sadly. No, but there was love for someone. I'm just going to mention it here real quick. So on the fake Voyager, the Enterprise E crew has been uh, captured in there and they get out of their hold and they're, and, and they're trying to plan what they're going to do next. And, and Picard is talking to Riker and they realize that there's one person among them that may be an, an imposter. So they take... because. People from the mirror universe, they have a different, unique quantum signature from their reality. And so they use a tricorder to find out who could be the imposter in the crew. And they find out that it's Ensign Margaret Clark, who in our universe is the (laughs) editor of Pocket Books. (laughs) Exactly. I see. I love stuff like this, you know, um, and there were actually quite a few in this book, I noticed. So, yeah, Ensign Margaret Clark noticed that right away. Very early in the book, they talk about these horse-like beasts of burden on the planet Chal called Ordovers. Yes. And of course, another editor of the book line is uh, John Ordover. So I thought that was cool. And then there was a portrait of a Constitution-class starship. And Kirk noticed that it was an original Jeffries. And oh, I yeah. thought that was a really nice little nod to the designer of the original Enterprise. So I, I, you know, a lot of people, I think, maybe roll their eyes at stuff like that. I love these little Easter eggs uh, for people who know the behind the scenes stuff. I think that's really cool. Well, and Star Trek did that anyway. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it had no problem with doing that stuff. Uh, we couldn't always see it because it was too small to see, but they did that stuff all the time. Uh, I do have to say one thing that I really loved as well is Kirk thinks to himself early in the book that the reason he doesn't need to go back to Starfleet is he's read about that Ben Sisko, and with officers like him, he's not needed anymore. And I was like, that's right, Kirk gets it. Ben Sisko is really the captain he should be friends with. That's... Forget that Picard, dude. That's totally true. I, I did forget about that when I said there was no Deep Space Nine love. That's a really good call. I love that line. I always like seeing Picard and Kirk on the cover of a book because I remember early on in the Next Generation airings, in those early seasons, we never saw the two of them together. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if Kirk and Picard were together? And of course, then we saw it in Generations. And prior to that, we saw it in the novel Federation. And and then we see now these novels. And so we start to see these two together. But wouldn't it be great to see a cover with Cisco and Kirk only? Just the two of them. That'd be pretty cool. 
We've gotten Kirk and Seven of Nine on a cover, so, you know, it's not outside the realm of possibility. They both punch Q at the same time. Oh, I love it. Yep. <laughs> a Q punch. <laughs> boom, boom. Double whammy. <laughs> Q squared. That's what they call it, a, a Q squared. And then Q could say, like, everyone but Picard has hit me, apparently. <laughs> yeah, because hasn't Janeway slapped him? So. Yeah. At least shoved her So the only person left is Archer, place. and so there you go. <laughs> yeah, somebody needs to give a Q-tip to Picard. So, sorry for that pun. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> I wish everybody could see Dan just covering his face like, oh, that was bad. So <laughs> That was bad, but I mean, you know, props. I, I'm a huge fan of puns, so nicely done. Thank you. We'll have to up our pun game on this show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, don't get that start. I, I could do that all day. <laughs> Believe me. So let before we wrap things up, my last question would be about the Prime Directive, because that seems to come up in so many Star Trek novels, and it did come up here. Did Kirk really violate the Prime Directive in the Mirror Mirror universe from what his speeches were to to Spock? And also, is it breaking the Prime Directive for him to go back and try to fix what he thinks he made a mistake in the mirror universe. I, I, I mean, I'm not really convinced. I think uh, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I think it's so screwed up anyway. Who cares? Break the prime directive. I think the answer is probably, yeah, it does break the prime directive, but I think Kirk agrees with you that he doesn't care. He's going to do it anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, Sure, yeah, it probably breaks the spirit of, of what the Prime Directive intends, but, you know, when you've messed it up this bad once, you may as well do what you can to fix it, I guess. Uh, I don't know. It depends in whether you think that both sides of, you know, our universe versus their universe are just totally isolated and should never intermix, or if you think, well, we're all in this together, and if there's suffering, you know, humans or people who are part of the Federation somewhere, we should do something about it. I don't know. That's yeah. I don't know. That's a tough question, I guess. I I don't know. Uh, I mean, during the five year mission, does, does Kirk have the temporal prime directive? No, you know, so uh, they, they, they didn't even know about alternate universes until the mirror universe accident happens. So I, I don't really know. And again, the prime directive is all about, interfering in a culture that doesn't have the technology that they have, but they already had the technology. So it just feels like it doesn't really apply. Well, the fact that they're blaming Kirk for their situation, I don't see Kirk trying to fix it being a violation. Right. No, exactly. And heck, they, they are asking for his help. So that's not a violation of the prime directive. Uh, that's true. Yeah. I guess the only real person that's, truly saying that is Necheyev. And I got to ask you a question, Dan. Did did you know that she was an alternate or did you just think she was being classic Necheyev? <laughs> See, now this is another character that both sides, our universe and that universe, they're just the same person. <laughs> no, I, um, I can't remember exactly when I suspected, uh, but it was, it was very shortly around when it was outright revealed. So, you know, yeah, I, I didn't think she was mirror universe. For example, during the briefing scene, I thought she was just kind of written as a little bit over the top, uh, bad word that I can't say 
Nechev. <laughs> you know, um, which actually, if you have ever meet the actress in real life, she is just the sweetest person in the world, which is really bizarre. But anyway. I've never met her, so I can't say that. Um, <laughs> but I thought it was a little odd, too, that Kirk was willing to really let everyone die on that asteroid all the enterprise crew people i thought that was a little out of character did i miss something i mean because he was ready to just let everything just go to hell until he found out telaney was on there and that was like oh whoa wait, 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 wait maybe we maybe we should try to do something to find another way to get out of this mess without having people die on the asteroid i thought that was a little strange like out of character for him yeah it felt a little out of character to me as well a little i I don't want to say bloodthirsty, but a little bit more apathetic slash vengeful than I've, you know, ever really seen Kirk. I guess he had motivation to be that way, but it did strike a, a wrong chord with me for sure. I thought it was interesting because it, it it felt like a Kirk that we hadn't seen before where he couldn't think of another solution and nobody else was thinking of another solution. And so it's it's not a good one but it is the one that will save the most lives, and that's definitely in line with who Kirk is. Um, the moment they realize, you know, that Talani and Picard are still alive, they realize that they still have a chance then to make a difference in a completely different way. So it it seemed over the top, but then so is this book. So it didn't bother me all that much, and especially since... Heck, nobody, and I mean nobody, is giving him a better solution. They're just telling him, no, we can't do that. They're not telling him, so we should do this. Right. You know, it's like, that's not helpful. Like, give the poor guy another solution. Like, why is he the one who has to think of everything? <laughs> I did, that That did bug me a little bit. Like, the entire Next Generation crew standing around going, oh, <laughs> Kirk has to figure this all out. I'm like... Uh, okay. I guess it's your book, but man, you know. I guess it's that Riker can think needs of, of the many outweigh the needs of the few is kind of where he was going with that decision. And I think that's exactly, I, that's why it didn't bother me as much because that was his argument. You know, the same argument that Spock has made to him before. You know, it, there is no other way out. Therefore, this is the way. Uh, and yes, these hundreds of people will die instead of billions upon billions. Uh, and, and you know, Kirk does have a unique experience of understanding, I think, better than anybody here, the, the reality of who this person is. And it's bad, you know? Like, he's just a bad dude. Mm. Uh, nobody else gets that. So, and nobody else seems to get that. And, uh, so it's nice to see him being willing to make that sacrifice and make that call. And I think it, what's also interesting is, isn't that part of, of Kirk being a captain? Like he's, that is just part of the role of having to make the call that nobody else wants to make. So it, to, again, that kind of seemed very in line with the Kirk character of, of he, whether you like it or not, this is, this is what we got to do. So there you go. I think we've about covered everything. Once you, unless you guys have something else you want to say about the book, but we can move on to our final thoughts. 
No, I think um, I think I've said about all that I want to say, except I do have to say I did appreciate the Canadian content. We had we had Montreal, which is the birthplace of William Shatner. So that's pretty cool. And the St. Lawrence, which is the, you know, I guess that's U.S. and Canada. But, you know, whatever. It's Canadian. I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Dan, so tell us how you would rate this book then. I do have to say I enjoyed it. as I said, this is my first time reading it, so this is all new to me. A little over the top in some areas and a little nonsensical things that I've brought up through the course of this review. But I will say I will probably have to give it three and a half runabouts doing crazy warp maneuvers through Starship Shields somehow. <laughs> nice. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Matt. Now's your turn. Tell us what you think. You know, uh, it, it's um, it is interesting re rereading this series. Uh, Shatner has, uh, and I think uh, Judith and Garfield Reese Stevens have have such a fun uh, idea of of just Star Trek in general. Like, it, it's over the top, and it's big, and it's brash, and it's bold, uh, but it's also just a, a heck of a lot of fun. And that's what I have when I read these books. And I, and I really enjoy it. I'm glad that uh, they allowed them to just kind of have their own thing, do their own thing, and, and kind of make a universe in, in which is bigger than life for Star Trek. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what Kirk was anyway. So it just makes sense that that would be the case. And, and so uh, I, I really like the series. Um, it's a lot of fun. It really is. And I'm so glad that, um, you know, that they just continued it. Gosh, I, that, I think that's the coolest thing is that they did allow Shatner and, uh, Judith and Garfield to, to continue on in the series. And it's a, it is, it's just a, it's just a good time. Uh, I think anybody reading it, uh, will have a good time. And so I, I highly encourage reading it. And, it's probably about four out of five awkward moments with Picard and Talani. It's the pheromones. That's what it is. That's what caused that. Yeah, that's, that's what, what they, they all say. say. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh, sure. <laughs> well, I'm with you there, Matt. I mean, it's exactly what I was thinking, too. It's just, it's so much fun. There's just, there, and there's so much fun thrown in there that's all mixed together, and we're mixing crews, and every time I read one of these books by Shatner, it's, I always think I'd like to see this as a movie. And every time I finish a book, I always think, I think I would want to reread this again someday. And because Mm -hmm. I feel like I want to reread it again someday, which obviously I got to do this time with this book, almost 15 years later, I would say I'd have to give it four and a half out of five arguments with Scotty. Well, we've continued our way into the second trilogy of the Shatnerverse, and I think, you know, kind of a, a fun time rereading for you guys, uh, re-experiencing that, and first time for me. So it's it's cool to kind of peel back these layers of the Star Trek lit universe that I haven't personally had a chance to experience yet. And I love that we get that opportunity on Literary Treks. Yeah, and the next book in this series is Dark Victory. So I'm looking forward to that. And honestly, then the third book in this series of these of this trilogy, Preserver, which we'll get into then sometime after Dark Victory, 
I don't know if I ever read that one. I think that's the only Shatner verse book I never read. So I, I don't know how this trilogy ends. So I'm really looking forward to that because Dan will be in the same boat. We both had never read that one. Interesting. That, that'll be exciting. It's been so long since I've read that one. I have trouble just kind of remembering, uh, I think, you know, what happened in the story. Uh, that's, that's, that's really what it is for me. So I'm excited to remember, see how they work in the preserver storyline, because I, th- I feel like that was, that was always a really interesting aspect of that was just having them bring back the preservers. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really glad that you guys have decided to continue talking about this series because it's, uh, to me, it's just a really enjoyable series and it's just something that's very different from all the rest of the Star Trek books. And I think that's, you know, it's just kind of needed. I mean, maybe that's what they're, uh, their goal is to try and do with maybe some of the Waypoint comics that we talked about tonight. And, you know, hopefully that'll be successful. And, you know, I'd love to see some some more books a little bit more like this that aren't about, you know, I, and I love, you know, you both know this, I love the continuity uh, stuff that we get with the other books. I think that's fantastic. That's my favorite part of, of Star Trek books these days. But I also think it would be awesome to just have some books like this uh, with the popular author or just somebody more like a Shatner where you really just take some big risks, do something really odd, different, strange. I don't know. I think it would be fun. Well, risk after all is our business. So That's that's what Janeway says. So, <laughs> Or at least the real Janeway. I don't know if mere Janeway says that. They both say the same thing. You think she's? They're the same okay. people. Yeah, because they're the exact same person, really. I mean, let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, they, they always say the same things. But, you know, yeah. not only do they say the same things, and not only do sometimes we say the same things, but there's other th- people talking about other things here on the network on Trek FM. So here's a quick look at some of the things you may have missed elsewhere on the Trek FM network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Sugar and spice and everything nice, yes, we know. But that's never mentioned in the episode at all. Like, you think there'd be some tag scene with everybody on the bridge and Kirk saying that to himself and Spock says, Spice Captain? <laughs> or something like that, right? <laughs> I guess so. Earl Grey. And then as kind of a teenager, I kind of drifted a bit from Star Trek. And, you know, I pretended one time when I went to see Star Trek Nemesis that I was actually off to see Elf instead because that sounded cooler than seeing Star Trek Nemesis. And maybe it still is. To the journey! See, now now I'm picturing like old Seven of Nine at the end of Titanic. You know, she's got the doctor's medical tricorder in her hand and she lovingly tosses it over the side of the ship at the end of the episode. Oh, she has the mobile emitter. The mobile emitter and throws it over. Perfect. I love this. The 602 Club. I thought it was a great story about, you know, perseverance and the courage to act even when you don't know how the outcome's going to, to come. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners like you to find the shows as they search in iTunes. 
If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Another way you can help us keep all our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, You'll find all the details at, write this down, patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd also like to thank the associate producers for Literary Treks. Those are Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, Brendan Chaimatala, and Norman Lau. Thank you all so very much for your support of the Trek FM network and for your support of Literary Treks. And I want to thank Matt for joining us. On this episode, once again, even though you've left the show, you're still so much an integral part of literary tracks. Well, guys, you know you were you're talking about my just one of my favorite series, and I just I couldn't stay away. What can I say? Yet every time I think I'm out, they keep pulling me back in. <laughs> so, Matt, if people want to keep up with what you're doing, where can people find you online? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter, Matt. Rushing02 on Instagram, mrushing. I'm here on the network doing the orb with Chris Jones and, of course, our general geek show talking all things geeky. I mean, your first stop shop for everything that doesn't have to do with Star Trek, uh, Star Wars, Bond, comic books, movies, TV, all the stuff that we love, the other fandoms that we just can't get enough of. Check it out there. Uh, Also, Star Wars, the 602 Club Collection. Uh, You can find both of those on iTunes. I'm also on the Nerd Party Network, doing aggressive negotiations with John Mills. You can find us talking all about Star Wars each and every week. It's a blast. I hope you'll join us there. And doing Owl Post, a Harry Potter podcast with Drea Kaufman, where we're walking through each and every chapter of Harry Potter. It's the perfect time to jump in, especially if you've never read the books. We're right at the beginning. We're going really slow. If you've read the books a million times, we're going chapter by chapter, digging into all the minutiae. So either way, come and join us. It's the perfect time. So that's where you can find me. And uh, gosh, uh, Dan, uh, when you're not universe hopping, staring at yourself, what you think of is a mirror, but it's not really because it's just your alternate from the mirror universe. Where can we find you? Well, it's it's really confusing, but I think, yeah, I'm me. Am I me? I'm me. Anyway, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. Uh, you can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash Productions. I have my website where I, where I review Star Trek novels, both old and new, and that's at treklit.com. And of course, you can find me kicking around the Babel Conference talking about all things Star Trek. And Bruce, when you're not attending a conference in Montreal for temporarily displaced people, where can we find you? Well, you can find me freezing my butt off if it's wintertime in Montreal, that's for sure. But if I'm not doing that, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral underscore Rex. And you can also find me talking Star Wars. Yeah, that other franchise. I know, I know. But I do talk about Star Wars on a podcast called The Star Wars Report with Riley Blanton and Mark Herleman. And you can find that in all your podcast catchers. 
So I think that just about does it. So thanks everyone for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one. <laughs>